Alright, what's going on everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. Before we start into today's episode, I have a quick question for you. Raise your hand if you are listening and you are a founder or you are a founder type or working on side projects. Now, if you're if you're driving, please don't raise your hand. But if you're thinking that's me, chances are you might have a co-founder and in today's world, everything's remote. And this is unfortunate for founding teams because teams work fastest when they're together, right? When you're starting something new from scratch, being in the same room has a magical kind of feeling to it. And when we're all remote, you don't really get the same thing. Well, what if I told you there's a way to get that same output, right? Get that same feeling while being remote. And luckily there is. Uh, our sponsor for the next couple of weeks for Forward Thinking Founders is Sidekick. And Sidekick is an always-on display that sits next to you, next to your computer. It allows you to work right next to your co-founder like you were in the same room. This eliminates most of the problems that you kind of get when founding a startup remotely. And you're able to move faster and, and, and kind of get stuff done in a much more efficient way like you could with if you were in the same room. And luckily, because you're a listener of Forward Thinking Founders, you get a big discount on on Sidekick devices. If you go to sidekick.video slash FTF, you get $30 off. The market rate is $50 per device. As a listener of this podcast, it is $20 per device. $30 off total per device. So go to sidekick.video slash FTF, get your devices, and get you and your co-founders working together like you're in the same room, even if you're remote. Hope you enjoy it. What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies, and the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus, so if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones, like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews, so check it out. Enjoy the repository, and for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. It's what is going on, everybody. We are live with a Forward Thinking City AMA. Uh, this is with Nadia Ekbal, who is head of writer experience at Substack. Welcome to the AMA. Thanks for coming, Nadia. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. As I said before we uh, before we started recording, I am a huge fan of Substack. I'm a huge user of Substack. Substack helps me make money online, which is like makes me super stoked to have you on and you know kind of share what you're doing with with um, with the residents and just with everyone listening. So I think to start, um, some people may know what Substack is, but I think like many people may not. So let's start at a very basic level. Um, what is Substack? Substack is a platform for independent writing. That's our tagline, I guess. Um, but it's uh, more concretely, it's a place for you to start a newsletter, start writing. Um, it's, we're sort of a hybrid between a newsletter and a blog in that um, you publish, you, all the posts that you write and publish are visible on the web, just like a blog. So it can even like replace the blog that you do have. Um, but also every post you send out, you have the option of emailing it out to your list. And so we think that distinction is important because it means that you own your audience in a way that if you um, have a blog, you don't actually know, even if you go viral or something, like you don't actually 
um, know exactly who you're talking to when people come across your blog, but uh, when you're emailing people out directly, you're actually talking to the same people over and over again and can build that actual um, audience of people who keep following your work over time. As a writer on Substack myself, I can kind of attest that the dual combo of blog plus email newsletter built in is like pretty powerful. And it seems like so far you've gotten, you know, all sorts of people on Substack, but I'd like kind of love to hear as you look forward or just uh, even just right now, what types of people do you, are you trying to attract to Substack? Is it any writer? Is it uh, certain niches? If someone's listening and they're like, Oh, I like writing. Like, could I write on Substack? Um, could they, and, and, and who, who do you kind of want to write on the platform? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think like we really do stand by this sort of independent writing angle of, um, Anyone who is interested in building an audience for their work uh, should come to Substack and should write. I think I think everyone should write. Um, one of the fun things about working at Substack is you start to see this like really really wide set of topics that everyone writes about. And um, yeah, I mean it's all sorts of strange niches. And then you also have kind of like these broader categories. Like we have a lot of like politics writers or sports writers or whatever. But you also have people that are writing about like. I don't know. It, it, I found like recently like a, a monk who lives in Hawaii and like writes about being a monk. It's like, you know, like literally anyone can, uh, can write on Substack. So yeah, I can't think for um, anyone really that it's not for. And then one, one more question just kind of to set the context and then Jeremy, feel free to pop in whenever you want with questions. Um, it can be more casual. Um, so you are head of writer experience at Substack. That's super interesting to me. Like what, what is, what do you do at Substack? Do you mainly work with writers? Do you help them be successful? I guess what, what, what's your day to day at Substack? Yeah. Um, so I try to figure out what uh, sorts of resources we can provide people that can help writers at scale. Um, so it, uh, mostly I'm focusing on our um, editorial and content strategy as well as our community um, trying to figure out like how do we help writers feel connected to each other, feel connected to the idea of being an independent writer on Substack um, and uh, develop events, uh, case studies, uh, interviews, everything sort of just to like um, help writers understand what Substack is all about. And it's kind of, it must be an interesting uh, journey for you because it's not like writing itself is new like I've been writing is has been like people have been writing for a while and then you know like my first blog about a, year, a decade ago was tumblr I was like writing about girls or whatever and I slowly like I slowly shifted over to writing about business and stuff and it's like the act of writing is is not new but you've kind of unlocked you've unlocked this thing where you combine like writing and email lists and like making money all in like a, in, a, in a platform. I'm kind of curious, um, w as you grow a Substack, how do you think about almost like educating the market that like, oh, like you, like you can write and have a newsletter, newsletter list or you can write and have a newsletter and that's not a big deal. It's just like it can be out of the box. How do you educate future writers or writers that haven't been doing that on that? Like this is an option. How do you almost like get them on your platform? Hmm. I think we kind of start from the angle of this is a place for you to write a newsletter and a newsletter is a way for you to keep in touch with your audience. And then I think from there, uh, it becomes a little bit more clear once you start using it, what, um, like how the blog angle kind of fits in. But um, I think like people understand that newsletters are about emailing your audience directly. And uh, I guess like the challenge there is that like historically, like people know what newsletters are, but people think of newsletters 
been in the past as being this sort of like marketing thing of you just kind of like pushing out announcements or whatever. Um, I've been writing a newsletter myself for, uh, I don't know, maybe like five years now at this point. Um, and definitely like when I started writing the newsletter, it was like, you know, sign up just to get updates about like blog posts that I publish. And I would just dump in the link and be like, here you go. Um, and then like naturally over time, as you start to realize, oh, I'm like talking to these same people over and over again, I can kind of say like, whatever I want. Um, and so then starts to develop in this more conversational style. And I think everyone kind of started realizing that around the same time. And um, I mean, even in the time that I've been there uh, for less than a year, uh, just like seeing people starting to like develop this understanding of like what it means to have a personal newsletter, have this sort of more editorial style. Uh, so I think like that aspect is really appealing to people who are writers because I mean, a lot of times you just don't know who is reading your work. That's been my experience as a writer. Um, you'll get the kind of like passerby kind of feedback or commentary, but um, knowing that like throughout all of this and this like very like solitary activity that I'm doing, which is writing, like in the end, it's kind of just like you and your computer, right? Um, but like, I think like having that feeling of knowing like, hey, like there, there is this like group of people out there who are my email list that, uh, that are following my journey no matter what I'm doing. And this is kind of like my space to say the things I want to say. And um, they know what they're getting. They know that they've opted into getting emails from me. Um, is just like a really nice feeling, I think, for most writers. And that, I think that's sort of uh, what a lot of people find appealing about the model. I have a question about how you guys sort of think about the difference between um, like, like what newsletters have meant to people for a long time, which was sort of this thing that you didn't really sign up for, but like, you bought a product on some website, right? Or like you did a thing that led to you also being on the newsletter versus these are like standalone products now. And I'm a big believer in, in content resources being their, their own standalone products. And I think that a newsletter as a product that you specifically sign up for is, is much more interesting. And I'm curious, like, do you guys find that there's still a lot of um, like, are, like, are you evangelizing the category? Or are you finding that like a lot of people still think newsletter equals bad promo spam type stuff? And like, are you doing anything to like improve delivery rates or like that sort of thing? Um, yeah. Like I think like there is still this association of like, what is a newsletter that was sort of like this thing in the past? I do feel like it's changing a lot, even in the time that I've been there. I feel like I'm answering much fewer questions now of people being like, oh, Substack's like MailChimp, right? And it's like, ah, oh, not really. Um, there's still people who like, even on the writer side of things, I think, um, who come to Substack expecting to do these really like sophisticated sort of marketing campaigns with their newsletter. And we kind of have to be like, this is kind of like not really for that. Um, but like, I, but I think it's just sort of a matter of time. Um, like, I, I mean, I think back to kind of like other early creator platforms, like YouTube didn't really set out to be like a creator video kind of space, but then people realized they could use the medium of videos to kind of um, create their own audiences or like Instagram really was like photo sharing between friends and then like creators realized they could use that to kind of keep in touch with people. And so I think it's the same sort of thing with newsletters where like people are familiar with this concept. It used to kind of mean something else, um, but the more people that are using it in different ways and um, people like, you know, often discover Substack because they're like subscribed to someone else's newsletter and they're like, oh, I can do it this way too. Um, I think that sort of, uh, those sorts of new norms are just going to start reinforcing themselves more. But um, I, I do find that like calling it a newsletter does help like ground the understanding a little bit. Like we've talked about, do we get more sophisticated with 
explaining like what that term is or having our own term or whatever but I think like in the end like newsletters are sort of like the flagship like idea and then you kind of like understand everything else that's possible um, as a result of that yeah that makes sense one thing that you mentioned a little bit ago or it actually might have been Jeremy but but someone mentioned that you've been you can you can write for so long online but you don't know who's reading um and like you've no you've no insight into that and I, I feel that a lot, literally, because I think like it was like eight months ago, randomly got a, I got a DM from like Legion, who at the time was at Andreessen Horowitz. She's like, oh, hey, I've been like writing, like loved your writing, like love to hop on a call and talk about like the what she was kind of put, putting you know, the passion economy at the time. Just like, huh? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, 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 like she, you know, I like I have no capacity to know that, you know, who else is writing my writing too. So I'm kind of curious, like the, the fact that you mentioned that I align with that. Do you kind of think about like do you kind of see a future for publishing a future for newsletter writing where like you can better know who's reading you can like have more insight on them i guess how do you think about like audience understanding versus just a publishing platform hmm. i mean with like i think about this, i guess with like in parallel to twitter a lot um <clears throat> and like on twitter like you do start to develop this sense of mutuals like after a certain point, you might not always know, like, you know, you don't see every new follower that's coming in, but, um, but like you go to the profile of someone that like, you might like hope to talk to or who's, um, whose stuff you like, and you, you realize, oh, this person follows me, like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I realize that, um, and if they don't follow, like, you know, tons and tons of people, then you're like, oh, we, maybe there's something interesting there, or they reply to one of your tweets, and you're like, oh, we're having this conversation. And so there is like, I think a precedent for that kind of visibility with other platforms where, um, yeah, where you just like, you start to develop social capital based on like, oh, I follow this person, this person follows me. And like, we talk to each other. If I reply at their stuff, they'll like respond to me or whatever. Um, and yeah, so I, I think like, it's not like an, it's, there, there is a precedent for that kind of relationship existing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's also partly why, like even in the email space, like there is this debate between you know should we uh like how much tracking do i actually want from uh, to, uh, how much do i actually want to be able to track my subscribers and like that's a question we get sometimes from writers of like i actually don't want all these analytics i just like i feel kind of weird knowing like you know when my um, subscribers have opened an email or whatever um but i think like and I, I think it's fine to you know be able to like have options that opt out of that and, and whatever like we should have those kinds of options in the world um but there is value there on the other end of like, you also hear from lots of writers who say, oh, I didn't realize, you know, this person subscribed to my newsletter and I can like see from their email address who it is. And like, that's so meaningful to me that, um, that this person is like following my work and that it feels like an extra step up even from like following someone on Twitter where you can kind of like follow and unfollow and you don't really know how permanent that is. Um, and yes, you can like unsubscribe from an email, but I feel like it's a little bit more personal to be like, okay, I know I'm going to be getting emails from this person. That's like an extra kind of annoyance. That's not like, um, you know, just like someone appearing on my Twitter feed. Uh, and so it, it feels a little bit more intimate and it can like really like kick off a relationship. Um, if you know that like this person subscribes to my stuff, I think, um, that's also like hugely motivating for writers just to like, yeah, know who they're, they're talking to. So, um, yeah, to me, like this all goes hand in hand with this idea of like being able to build a more like permanent audience for yourself. And, uh, which is so different from like, if we think about like page views on a blog being like the most fleeting transactional kind of relationship where you don't know the person and like they have made of just, I mean, just because they land on your page doesn't even mean they read it. Like they just kind of like, you know, whatever. Um, and then you can think about like following someone on social media being like a slightly more like uh, intimate relationship. And then like subscribing to someone's news, I feel like it's kind of like on the other end of it where it's like, okay, like that's a much, uh, 
yeah, it just signals something a lot more than um, than any of these other things. That makes that makes sense. It's I, I read somewhere there's no actual calculation for this, but like one email newsletter subscriber is equal to five Twitter followers, like like because you you kind of own the audience, which is exciting. And that's actually something I want to di- dive into with, with with Substack. This is like why I I wrote a thread on this, and actually it blew up. I think it's such like a interesting concept where I mean I used to write on candidly I used to write on Medium for about four years. That was like my home. That was my writing home, and I think that. I left Medium for Substack because I didn't feel like I had insight into who was reading. I didn't feel like I had insight into my distribution. I didn't feel like I had insight into like anything they didn't want me to have insight into. And with Substack, it's kind of a breath of fresh air because I, you know, although it's a platform that's not mine, there's an export button. I can always export the list. How do you all think about owning, like, like, how do you, like, what's your thesis, not thesis, but what's your kind of stance on owning your audience? Why did you decide to give that power to creators versus some other platforms maybe have like taken it away, which I think has been negatively impacting the industry? I think some of it might just come from like our founders values, um, which, you know, started to, Substack was already two years in by the time I joined. Um, but like, I feel this every day at work, like everyone who works at Substack, we're a small team right now, um, but everyone who works there cares very, very deeply about writers and helping them uh, establish their independence. Um, so Hamish, who's one of the co-founders is um, a former journalist himself. And uh, yeah, he just like has that, understands that uh, problem very intimately for, of, I mean, I've heard, this is a thing I hadn't even thought about. Cause like, I'm like, I blog on, you know, my own website and I, I've never worked as like a journalist or like written for another institution, but um, have heard now that I'm spending more time with writers of, you know, you could write for a, a news outlet and then you leave the company and they can decide to just like, delete all your articles if they wanted to and like then you have like nothing to point to and it's just like that's such a strange feeling that's such an extreme end to me of like not being able to own your work where it's like if I put like all this time and effort into it and like someone else owns it and can like get rid of they wanted to and that's just like um and then you know you think about like blogs kind of being in the middle of that of like okay I can like I own my work um but yeah I think like then kind of like taking that one step further and actually being able to like own your audience I think it's just um yeah, like it might just kind of boil down to like, we all just really, really care about that. And I've seen the effects of like, what does that look like if someone doesn't own their audience and like any sort of like platform or thing that like, um, I think any of us would want to work on is, uh, is really about like putting writers in the center of that and giving them um, ownership over, over their work. So I'm curious to hear, um, I'm huge into UX, right? Like, so for example, one thing is like, I, I do very little actual writing in Substack right now. I prefer Notion's writing experience because of a lot of like the sort of hotkeys and slash commands and all of this stuff. And so I'll write my newsletter in Notion and then copy and paste it in the Substack, fix some of the formatting and stuff. How do you, how do you personally um, balance product with you know community and like i don't know whatever else you do for like writer experience or writer success um yeah like how how do you strike that balance between like if i were in your shoes i would be like focusing full-time on on like trying to make the coolest product that i could possibly get engineering to build um but i imagine there's a lot more to it than that yeah i mean i definitely um spend a lot of time with product and engineering as well and so it's like i think my role probably like sits in between 
um, like understanding what people in our writer community are saying and uh, the feedback that we're getting and then helping like translate that um, and, and just like represent that perspective internally. Uh, we all spend time with writers in different shapes and forms, but like I definitely take it very, um, I just like really take that to heart since like I want us to do right by writers and um, and I want to be able to like kind of represent that perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't own the company single-handedly. I don't like, I, it's not like I personally, I don't run product and I don't run engineering. So, um, you know, it's a collaborative effort between all of us. We definitely have um, regular conversations about uh, sharing feedback from writers. Everyone does that in their interactions. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we just like talk about this stuff internally. So, um, yeah, I think the, the editor experience kind of comes from wanting to give people this, um, uh, like a, just a simple experience to get started. I mean, like I, yeah, I've written on probably like every popular blogging and newsletter platform in the past, whatever, 10 years or something. Um, and yeah, for me, like coming from, this is even before I joined Substack when I moved over to Substack, but like coming from like MailChimp, which was like, you know, this like, is just set up for like marketing emails and was not set up for me to just like email. I remember trying to get like, just, I was like, I just want to send like a simple like plain text email. And even that had yeah. like weird stuff all around it. I was just like, okay, like that's like a lot of work. Um, and then like maybe a tiny letter, which uh, was like a better experience, but still kind of had its own um, Chrome around the, the emails that I sent. And then like, as soon as I moved to Substack, I was just like, oh, I could just like send an email. Like that's what I want to be able to do. Um, I just want to be able to like sit and write. And for like, I think for us, maybe like coming from um, tech and, or being, you know, tech adjacent in some shape or form, like maybe we take some of those things for granted. But like, I'm also uh, like a lot of people that write on Substack have like, are just like terrified of computers um and so there is something to be said for keeping that experience just like really really um simple and intuitive but uh, that being said i don't think any of us have uh the belief that it's you know the best editor that it could be and that there's always room for um for improvement and for changes so uh yeah it's definitely a thing that we talk about well yeah and and not even to say like ah oh, you guys should focus more on like the physical writing experience but like i'm fascinated by um like like advocacy balance right so like when you come to the table is your job to like advocate for like to basically say like this is this is going to improve the writer experience or make writers more successful and then other pe people on the team who are coming to the table have different priorities and, and you guys are all trying to find kind of the the happy medium that serves everyone yeah i mean i wouldn't frame it necessarily as like they have different priorities and then I'm trying to like advocate on behalf of, write, of the writers but I think the goal of uh like the product meetings that I'm in are um to be able to just like represent what is going on in the wider world I I've noticed this at every software company I've worked at where you know like internally it's just like harder to I mean, everyone just has different jobs that they focus on right and so for some people like they're not going to be spending all their time deeply immersed in the writer experience, they're going to be, you know, focused on making sure our site doesn't go down or whatever. Yeah. Um, like everyone has a, has a role to play in, in, a, in a team. And, um, and so like, I think like, I think of my sort of like goal is just like bring in that perspective of being like, okay, well, I am spending a lot of time with these writers and like, here's sort of like the thing that we're hearing or like here are the really uh, most common like feature requests or here's like feedback that we're getting from a certain feature or whatever um, and just making sure that it's like visible internally so um, yeah I think of it as like a highly collaborative kind of process but and then like of course given that like there are things where um, you know I think yeah every software company goes to this of there are things that we want to do because we think they're important um, and that might be different from what the feedback is like we might get feedback and this happens all the time of you know like 
there might be features where like people do have a different reaction to it, but like we feel like this is maybe like part of the experience for a reason. Um, or, or yeah, like there might be things, certain things that we know we need to fix. I mean, so many things we know we need to fix, um, but then we know that we need to prioritize our time for something else. And, um, and we are a team of uh, 14 people right now as of this week. Um, so we're very, very small. I joined, when I joined, I was the second employee and that was in November. And so um, I think people also tend to like underestimate like uh, just like how, how big our team is. And so um, there's a lot to do. So I want to like actually like not dig into that, but just make a point. Like there's a lot of, because you're kind of, in my view, like one of the leaders, if not the leader in this space right now, like personal newsletters, start your newsletter, get paid on the internet. Like, of course you've attracted many people that like are haters, like, Oh, like they, they're not good because of X, Y, and Z like this, this, you know, that's just the name of the game. But like, I think that um, people don't realize that it is such a small team and the best is like yet to come. Like I, there's a lot of things about the product I like wish there was more of stuff and I'm actually going to ask a couple of questions just like, if, if, I don't know, you may not be able to disclose, but I am curious as a, as a power user, but like you just said it, you're a team under 20, like you're, you're already powering so many newsletters. Like it's just, I'm so excited to know where you'll be in a year or two. And I think it when, when I look out a year or two, I do have a couple of questions. It's actually like one question. Actually, it's one. And like, I don't know if you can answer it, it might be confidential, but like, I need to know. I can guess what it is. <laughs> What do I, I, I don't know? Is it related what, to a specific feature? Yeah. It, what do you think? I kind of. What do you think? Is, what is do you it, think the feature request? Uh, is it custom domain? No, I actually don't uh, care about custom domain. Is it bundled publications? I don't care about bundled publications. All right, then I don't know what it is. Yes. Oh well. All right. <laughs> well, I know what it is. Yeah, yeah Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy, what what do you what do you think it is? Is it analytics? No. <laughs> what? It's an API. Do you have, uh, is there, do you like, like I, I want, because I have stuff on the internet that's outside of, like, it's not just API, it's like Zapier. Like, is, is there any, like, it's based on what, how you responded to my point, I feel like it's like very low on the, on the, it's on, on the totem it's, pole. But is it on the totem talking, pole? Yeah. <laughs> it's on the totem pole somewhere. Um, it's not like, yeah, I mean, I guess I could just say, like, it's not like, the, it's, it's certainly not like something we're we do not have any active plans to, to do it right now um but the feedback has been heard loud and clear from a lot of people specifically around uh zapier and uh yeah <laughs> i'm sure why do people um actually kind of if you're if i kind of want to get into some of this if if we can stop if if you um don't if you, if you don't want to go any deeper but like in, when you get these common feature requests let's talk about the two that you mentioned like the custom domains and the bundling how like those are obviously the two that are top of mind to you like how do you think about building them or being like hey i know you want this but this is anti-vision to Substack, so like you won't get it versus like rolling it out to some users like let's just start with custom domains how do you think about that and like are they in the future are they not do you not know and you're just like not making a decision yet because you don't want to but you don't want to like say something and then, then divert how do you think about these features custom domains is far and away the top feature requests that we get um, and it is in our near future and we say this in support and it, when people write in asking about it and it is the truth is that we have just certain technical limitations that prevent us from being able to just like snap our fingers and um, unroll them to everyone uh, but we as you might have seen have um, unrolled it to a few publications just to see how it works and we are very very actively trying to figure out how to make them available to everyone. Why 
the, Jeremy probably knows the answer to this, but I like actually don't don't know. Um, other than the domain juice, which I, I'm, a, I'm an SEO guy, like I understand the power of, of it being on your own domain, but other than getting the, the domain benefit, what are, why do you think that that is such a big uh, feature request? Like, I mean, I feel like that is an obvious one that I would want, but like, I'm almost fine with it not being that. Um, why, why do you think that's so needed in the Substack community? Good question. And I've actually never heard anyone ask this question. And I think it is actually like an important question. Um, my guess, I don't know the answer to it. My guess would be, um, <clears throat> it kind of depends on like what context you were writing in before you came to Substack. And so like, I mean, yeah, there, there are some people who say, you know, like I need a custom domain in order to make money. And like, I don't think that's true. Like you can see on the list of top paid writers on Substack, like a lot of them do not have custom domains and like they're fine. Um, but I think some of it does depend on the context that you had before. So if you had a blog before and like you built up like, you know, this whole, um, identity around your like own personal website. And then like, like you're trying to think about like, do I replace my Substack or do I replace my personal website with my Substack? Then yeah, I could see why, um, a custom domain would be more important to you. Um, if you were, you know, just kind of writing whatever, or this is like the first time you've ever had any sort of like more personal space. Um, then like, then I could see people being like, just like not really caring. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just like, the, the funny thing is just like writing and like personal websites that is it's like, it's just like so different for everyone and like what their setup is. Like I personally have like my own namespace on my own personal domain. And like, I like that like Substack is just like my newsletter space. Cause like, I don't want that to be my personal website. I have a personal website with like other stuff on it that is just never going to be like, you know, replacing my entire blog or newsletter. Um, and so like, I, I like that it's not the same. Um, but for, yeah, I think for people that are thinking about like it becoming their like synonymous namespace, then it's like, then I understand that feeling of, well, I want to be able to like take my stuff and, um, go somewhere else if I want to and, and not lose that, those links. So yeah, it's like, yeah, some people it just matters a lot, I guess. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. I get it. I get it. At the same time, I do think it's like, no, I get it. I actually do get it. Let's move on to that. Let's move on. I want to, um, uh, I could like do my like thing where I'm like, oh, well, like maybe this is because of X, like that's why the crowd is moving that way. But like, I'll leave it. Um, my, my one other question, this is very, um, sp this is actually like very, I'm, I'm very interested in your thoughts on this because it think it helps me think about how I build my business like this, what we're doing right now, like I quit my job a week ago to like go full time on this like oh, forward wow. thinking thing and it's so far it's working great but like this is my business um so i'm like curious how do you think about bundles and what you're what you're willing like 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 that isn't my number one feel like i i do i think the api is the thing that i want the most but since you mentioned bundles is that functionality that you want to roll out in the future for everyone is it just for like a, a certain like paid tier um as like someone that wants to plan future content and plan like a publication of some sort it could, could pub, Substack be that or, or like, I guess, how, how do you think about bundles? Yeah, it's the thing that we're talking about actively internally. Um, so maybe higher on that proverbial totem pole than an API. Uh, we had the experience of doing this for the dispatch, um, <clears throat> which is a publication that launched, uh, gosh, uh, yeah, end of last year, maybe, um, and has done really well with this sort of like bundled experience. Um, we've also now experimented with that with the everything bundle um 
that Dan Shipper and uh, Nathan Vasquez have and um, and just seeing like the promise of like okay like this we understand like why this can be valuable to writers and just seeing the yeah the value that it can it can provide so um, it's an active conversation that we're having internally I think it's a really interesting one um, no promises yet but yeah um, cool I, yeah, yeah I, I was gonna say yeah go, go for it Jeremy so I'm, I'm like noodling a lot right now on like how can we create like objective um, leading indicators of success in society for like big problems that are politicized. So my question to you is like in your focus on writer success, like do you guys have like clear objective metrics on like these things mean that our writers are more successful? Obviously like making more money, growing audiences and stuff like that, but is there anything more like nuanced or interesting that you're... Um, trying to measure to as a leading indicator of writer success um for my end of things like you know everyone different teams have different metrics but just speaking to myself personally it's more about making sure that people understand um how to use the products and like what the actual like tactics and strategies are i mean i talk to people that are just at such different levels of experience and understanding of substack and like there's still just a lot of um just like early education of I mean the fact that we even had to start this conversation for example being like what is Substack says something of like it's still really really new to a lot of people um and so there is a lot of just understanding like what does it even mean to grow a paid newsletter or to grow your mailing list um in this sort of way I think like you know I I, I think like it, it is like its own new creative meeting medium that is emerging this year for a lot of people and um even like we're learning what works and what doesn't work just by listening to our writers and so uh, for me personally, like, I think the focus is still more on, like, do people understand how to use Substack? Do they understand um, how to be successful? Are they, like, trying to go paid? Um, are they successfully building their lists? Um, and then, like, yeah, do they, like, resonate with this idea of, like, being an independent writer? And so, uh, yeah, we're just, we're still a really young company. And I think, like, that stuff matters a lot to kind of get those foundationals down. And when people understand that stuff, then they'll kind of go off and experiment on their own. Well, well, and you're setting writers up for success by teaching them how to write a good newsletter and build an audience and, and sort of like, just like be a good newsletter writer, a good Substack writer, a good sub creator, as Matt calls them. Um, and I'm a huge believer of teaching your ideal customer how to be your ideal customer, <laughs> how to basically become a pro user or like the best that they can be and where your product fits into that great where it doesn't fit into that totally fine like you're still offering a ton of value and getting them to sort of enroll into your your brand promise so, yeah yeah i was just talking to someone who was um just an early hired another creator platform and she was saying like they had to like create like guides to like show people like what is the right vocabulary to use when you talk about this thing which like now yeah. like you know has become de facto for everyone but like they actually had to like nudge people around because people like did not exactly know how to talk about this stuff so um yeah it's all sort of like the groundwork that hopefully will pay off over over the coming years and just as a side quick question to that as well um do you guys do anything so like your writer success is there like reader success or audience success so far, we haven't, we focus a lot on the writer experience. We haven't um, focused as much on the reader experience. There is um, stuff coming down the pipeline on that. Um, I think we're, yeah, product-wise, we've kind of hit that um, phase where, like, it's it's interesting to turn to the reader experience and kind of be like, okay, like, 
what it like people are subscribing to you know multiple subscriptions what it, what does it feel like to just like be a reader of Substack right. um, and so yeah that's definitely something that we're focusing on right now and I imagine that like as we start to have more stuff out in the wild that are uh, geared more towards readers that um, we'll start to also develop that that kind of um, muscle internally of you know who are the people that are focusing on on reader success as well so very excited for that stuff to happen soon good it's fascinating <laughs> And as time dwindles down, um, I in our AMA, um, I have one. La- I have one last question to to round it out. But before I ask that, um, is there Jeremy? Do you have any more questions? Um, I have one more. Yeah, yeah. I have one more burning question, which is like, how does how does your current role with Substack differ, compare, whatever to um, your role at GitHub? Uh, which is essentially the same thing, right? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, I was going to bring it up a little bit earlier when we were talking about like, you know, how do I measure success in this role? Um, they're similar in a lot of ways and it just kind of being focused on like, who are the people that are using this platform and how do we help like create an internal understanding of that? Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the things I'm functionally doing are pretty similar. Um, the difference that I've noticed has been, um, just like GitHub was in a totally different stage than when I joined uh, Substack. So I think GitHub was, I want to say 10 years old around the time I was there. Um, and so the kinds of things that we were hearing from users then was like, you know, I don't have to teach anyone how to like use GitHub at that point. Um, they actually did have a separate team that was um, focused on like education and like bringing GitHub to schools. Um, and then we had, uh, I can't remember the name of this team, but there was also a team that was focused on like uh, bring it to like new business customers that weren't familiar with using GitHub internally. Um, but like for my experience with like open source developers, like I don't need to teach them how to use GitHub. Um, but like the the flip side was we had you know these like seasoned veterans on GitHub who were like you know ha- were really frustrated by a lot of things on the platform and um, just had a lot of like very specific um, needs that had been you know voiced over the years and like people had just like not really listened to. Um, before right around the time I joined but like a little bit before um there was this like letter that went out that was called dear github I don't know if you remember that where like um it was like 2,000 maintainers signed like created this repo on um github and like signed an open letter being like github you're not listening to us we have like sent you like all these requests and um and we just feel not heard by you and so like I was coming into like a very different kind of context of like people just being a little bit like jaded in that way um and so like, yeah, it was like organizationally and just like in terms of like how I thought about my role and like the kinds of conversations I was having, like totally, totally different. Uh, and whereas like here, it's like everyone is like fresh and like super youthful energy and everyone's like, what is this thing? This is so cool. I want to try it. I'm so happy. And like most people I talk to are like excited, but then also have some feature requests. And so it's like, um, it's very, very different in terms of like the actual like conversations that I'm having and, and the way I think about it. Uh, but then like, yeah, I do think like there is always this need for a role that is sitting sort of like um, being very like available externally and uh, being like kind of like in the weeds and, and spending a lot of time around writers, spending a lot of time looking at what people are writing and what people are saying and then like being able to like kind of translate that back internally. And it's just like, it's good for the company to have that. Um, and it's good hopefully for the writers. Nice. So you have answered all our questions very, very, very thoughtfully. And I'm sure people are listening, being like, this is pretty cool. Nadia is awesome. I want to try a Substack. So I guess the final question isn't an actual like hard question. It's just like, if, if people are listening to this and they're like, I want to give it a shot, 
um, how can they how can they try Substack? How much does it cost to get started? And um, uh, I guess how can they how can they try it out um, if they've like what they've heard? Uh, so go to Substack.com. Um, it is free to get started. If you don't ever charge paid subscriptions, you can have a list on there as big as you want for free. Um, so there's no financial cost to trying it. Um, I'd also say there's just no like risk co cost to trying it either. Um, like if you, if you've never, you know, if you're starting with like zero lists and you don't have anything that you're porting over, um, starting from scratch, like, I mean, I would just say start out by like sending an email or, uh, if you are like on social media, just like tweet about it or something and just be like, Hey, I'm starting this thing. See who signs up. It's like surprisingly satisfying to have, even if you had like 10 people on your list, like you're knowing you're just like emailing these people and that's kind of cool. Um, there was like a, a workshop we ran, uh, maybe like a month ago from like a, a writer who's, uh, gone to, to do quite well on Substack. And he was saying like, you know, in the beginning, like nobody knows how many subscribers you have. And so you could be writing for 10 subscribers. It doesn't matter. Like, right. Like you're writing for 10,000. Um, yeah. and yeah, there was something just very satisfying about that. It is a space for you to be able to like experiment and try new things and not worry too much about what people are saying. Um, I find that that sort of like semi-private experience where it's not like you're like tweeting but you're kind of just like sending emails um it's just like i found really conducive for creativity so uh yeah go to substack.com and sign up and get started and um if you yeah we have plenty of like resources and stuff to like help you figure out how to do it all right well if you're listening to this which you are because you're hearing you're hearing the conversation and you make a substack um shoot me the link to matt uh matt at forwardthinking.city and I would love to check it out and probably subscribe. Um, so Nadia, thank you so much for joining this AMA. I learned a ton. Um, I like, like with Jeremy's questions, with my questions, I feel like I understand the platform on like a much deeper level and the trajectory you're going in. I just appreciate you spending the time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Forward Thinking Founders. If you want more of Forward Thinking, I'm excited to let you know that we now have a community. Well, it's not really a community. It's more of a city. It's called Forward Thinking City. And in Forward Thinking City, you're able to do AMAs with past guests that have been on the podcast. For example, today we just talked to Jonathan Barkle, who's the CEO of Air Garage. Um, additionally, we have the CEO of Catch, Kristen Anderson. We have Austin Allred, the CEO of Lambda School coming in. And these are people that you can talk with, right? You can ask them questions. These are AMAs. Additionally, you're able to do happy hours with other residents once a week so you can meet other people, learn about their startups. You also have a chance to do startup office hours and get feedback on your, on your startup or your product, as well as get a chance to pitch actual investors, real VCs. And this is all only for $7 a month. So if you want to support me as a creator, but more importantly, if you want to move your startup career forward and faster and get you access to guests on the podcast, other people in the city, and potentially potential investors, then go to forwardthinking.city and sign up today for $7 a month. That's forwardthinking.city. All right, see you tomorrow.